Hey Corrine, my name is Hannah, and as always, I am here to bring you an episode that focuses on a resident, public servant, or business in the township, and ask who they are and how they help the township to function. This week's episode is part two of our trustees series. You're about to listen to my interview with trustee and political science professor Matt Waller as we talk about everything from township fiscal policy to the joys of adopting pets. You're listening to Hey Coleraine, and I hope you enjoy. This is Matt Waller, Coleraine Township trustee, and my favorite part of Coleraine. I think the beauty of Coleraine is that it has so many different settings, some urban-like, some more rural, some very rural. Uh, And I'd answer this way, if money were no object, my dream would be a large plot of land on or near the river. So if you were going to pin me down on exactly my favorite part, it would be probably the more rural area with a lot of land near the river, a lot of nature, that kind of stuff. And that's one thing that's always appealed to me about Coleraine. Do you just want to jump right on in, if that's okay with sure, you? Sure, go go right ahead. So what was your journey like leading up to running for Board of Trustees? So for the past uh, uh, almost 20 years, maybe a little bit more, I've spent my career in education. I taught at St. Henry uh, District High School for 17 years, that's in Northern Kentucky, and am mm-hmm. now in my third year at Elder High School. Um, I've been a visiting professor of political science at Miami University, where I got my PhD uh, for now almost 10 years. Wow. And at Miami, I teach courses in national security, global terrorism, uh, in a real specific class, U.S. relations with Iran since 1920. <laughs> what really inspired that interest in national security and foreign policy? I think for a lot of folks that, that, so when 9-11 happened, I was in my first or second year teaching, uh, somewhere around that, maybe third, mm-hmm. and, and I was set to be, you know, high school teacher and teach American history and maybe do some coaching, but at that point I had a master's in, in education, and that's kind of all it was going to be for me, and I, you know, I remember 9-11 so vividly because St. Henry, the school I was at, is actually about maybe a mile and a half from the airport. Oh, wow. So I had students that were like, oh, my gosh, you know, my, you know, they call it a trip. My mom's on a trip today. My dad's on a trip. Mm-hmm. And they didn't know where they were. And I think that's pretty typical. I think if you're 15, 16-year-old and your parents say, hey, I'm working today. I'm, I'm taking a flight. You don't know if they're going to San Francisco or Los Angeles or Boston or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really stuck with me, the 9-11, and for pretty much an entire week. All I could do is read, 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 read about the stuff leading up to 9-11, and that's what kind of launched my interest in the national security issues. Yeah. And did you always know that you wanted to run for public office, or was that also inspired via 9-11? So that's kind of an interesting story as well. <laughs> um, no, I never wanted to run for office. Um, I wanted to be the person in the back of the room that made fun of the people in office <laughs> and told them everything that they were doing wrong. And I had a student, a student that uh, uh, he's might be 30 years old now. It's been so long. Mm-hmm. And um, he was in my, my class and he challenged me and he goes, you know, you're telling a lot of other people what to do. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is and run for office? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what got me interested in it. And I thought, you know, I, I can't be hypocritical about this. I really have to I really have to give this a shot, and that's what, you know, at that point I was bitten by the politics bug. Yeah, and we live in a, a country where anyone can run for office and make a difference. Yeah, that's right, and the first time I ran for office, I ran for, um, as a Republican in, a, in the Ohio State District that leans the most Democrat in the entire state. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I had a little bit of a fail-safe knowing that, <laughs> you know what, 
I'm not going to screw this up. Yeah. Chances I'm probably, are. I'm probably going to lose. <laughs> but if I win, wow, amazing. But it'll give me a taste of whether I like this or not. And it, yeah. And, of course, it did. I definitely feel that. I was bitten by the politics bug early on. It's something amazing about the the grassroots political movements that really interests me. What all does the job entail for board of trustees? So there's a, there's a handbook that the state puts out that's several hundred pages long that lists all these, uh, um, you know, functions of the job. And the number one function is number one and two functions are roads and cemeteries, something mm-hmm. that we very rarely talk about in <laughs> trustee meetings, ironically. Uh, but to the trustees are the legislative branch. Um, you know, they make laws in the form of laws at the trustee level and the limited whole rule we're talking about resolutions. Um, we decide how taxpayer money is spent uh, through the budget process. And I think probably our biggest function is as legislative oversight. So if you ever watch a township trustee meeting, you'll see that they'll give administrative reports. The police chief, the fire chief, uh, the township administrator. It's up to the trustees to provide an oversight to make sure that the money's being spent, that the vision of the trustees is being uh, is being pushed by those by those specific department heads. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's really that legislative oversight function that's probably the most important. Yeah. Did anything shock you about the position? It's just it's I think it's just at a different level. So I've had experience on a on a city council in North College Hill where a budget was about eight or nine million dollars. Now we're getting in you know fifty million plus and oh, just wow. the extent of that I think is is oftentimes just hard to even imagine mm-hmm. you know that much. Uh, when sometimes when I go in to sign the the check requests, I look at them and I think, oh my. Yeah, that's a... I, I'm signing that. It's <laughs> more money than... Yeah, I would never have that in my account in a million years, and, and I'm signing four or five of them, so... Yeah, that's really interesting, especially because Corrine is the second largest township, so I think going in, I never really comprehended the size of Colerain. Mm-hmm. And, and plus, we're... You know, and those numbers for population, whatever the new census will, we'll go back and forth with Westchester, but we are the largest, I think, in terms of actual area, um, yeah. which makes it even more difficult because our density is so low that, that we have to provide services to a, a, f- a far extent of land throughout the township. Yeah, I've said this in, in other episodes, but I really find it interesting that there's not one Colerain. I mean, you can go on Colerain Avenue and it's very metropolitan, and then you go 20 minutes down the road and it's very rural. And, and that's what I think makes this job as trustee such a challenging job because if you talk about the budget process, mm-hmm. and, and I'm kind of switching a little bit to what I would do in maybe my American government class, I, I kind of define politics as who gets what, where, when, why, and why. I mean, that's kind of a basic definition for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, those needs um, in the community of Colerain Township are different from place to place. Yeah. So they have different concerns that need to be mediated under one umbrella, and that's sometimes challenging. Mm-hmm. Especially making that decision on what to prioritize. And I mean, there's a lot of push that to make things more metropolitan, but also respecting that some people want to remain rural. There's many people on the west side of Colerain that don't want to ever hear from us or see us. They mm-hmm. just wanted the government to leave them alone. There are many people that kind of in the central corridor that, you know, that want more government involvement and in things like policing and uh, uh, road improvement and things like that. It, it just all depends. And it's, you know, again, you have to weigh those needs out because ultimately you're not putting together three or four budgets you're putting together one. How do you 
try to, you know, make those balances in your mind when you're dealing with making one budget and making these big decisions on what Coleraine Township's government role is. It's kind of a multi-layer process because I think first you have to triage what are immediate needs. Uh, There's some things that are so immediate that you can't put off. On the other hand, I think that the one of the basic tenets of my decision making is I want to make decisions that are in the longest range best interest of everybody in the township. Now that doesn't fit with politics because mm-hmm. we have things called elections so it's very difficult to make a decision based on 15 20 years down the road and think you're going to you know run mm-hmm. again in four years and and win because people uh, you know don't have time to see that plan uh, play out. That's why at the federal level Nobody ever talks about cutting spending. I guess they talk about it. They don't do it. Yeah. Um, because who goes and runs under the under the uh, uh, under the slogan, "Hey, I'm going to cut spending and make your life harder." Mm-hmm. Please vote for me. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the the township, it's about kind of long term. Uh, what's in the best interest long term to have a sustainable township? Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a moment where maybe you had to decide between these short term ideas and then deciding maybe to focus on a long-term goal um yeah just recently and it's funny because i i think that if you watch this from afar you look at government decision making as a good uh, um normative decision versus a bad normative decision that these are the good ways these are the bad i I think it really comes down to two bad decisions and you have to make the less bad so to speak Mm -hmm. but recently the the board of trustees voted on putting the fire levy on the ballot now that's just a vote to put it on the ballot it's clear that the fire department needs that levy they made a five-year levy last 10 so in in my mind they should be rewarded for their efficiencies i mean that's something that i'll talk about on a continual basis but alas when they were making five turn into ten Instead of maybe nine, they didn't take into account we'd be in the middle of a global pandemic. <laughs> and you think about, and my concern is, can people, um, can people afford that extra payment? But the other side of it is, it's for the very, it's for the very people that are saving others' lives in the COVID pandemic. So mm-hmm. it presented a lot of different, a lot of different uh, polls on my decision making. Ultimately, I voted uh, with the idea of putting it off till next year. I lost that vote. Um, so. Mm-hmm. That would be an example and i guess one that didn't completely go the way i envisioned but i still you know when i said it when i did i'm not against the levy i'm not against fire i just don't think it's a good idea now yeah i mean this global pandemic has definitely added a a layer of complications that you know this time last year we had no idea was going to happen and we're still at the and I, i steal this quote all the time from donald rumsfeld um, which hardly anyone quotes anymore because he his career started on an upward <laughs> trend and then just kind of crashed and burned. But at one point he said, we don't know what we don't even know. We still don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I saw guidance from the CDC yesterday that said gators are actually worse than wearing no mask at all. I read the same. I had, I had bought a gator about two weeks ago, and I haven't even taken it out of the packaging. So I was saving <laughs> her for school, and I read that, that gator, and I was the sadness in my 
because uh, it's it's a beautiful. I'm not going to describe it, but it's a national park gator, and I was so excited for it. And it, it, it like extends the, the 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 germs out 20 feet instead of six. Yes, especially uh, my mother is a school teacher, and she her school is providing all the students with gators because they're <laughs> you know the kindergartners, and so I don't know. I assume they're changing their plan now, uh, but. You know, they start in a week, so... Right. Yeah, who knows? I mean, it could change in a week again. That's that's the problem with, with what we have now. It's such a it's such an outlier when it comes to decisions and, and information that you have to kind of process because you, we still don't... I kind of felt when we closed things down for four or five months, at the end of it, we would come out with information. Mm-hmm. And that information would be worth what we lost economically, what we lost socially and, and you know, emotionally and mentally with people. But we know less now. Yeah. Yeah, that's the frustrating part. I think right now uh, I'm a zoology major. I've taken a lot of epidemiology classes. And something that really, I don't want to use the word excites me, but I think it's interesting because right now a lot of people are seeing science happen firsthand in real time for the very first time. And that it, it takes time to do these studies. But, I mean, a lot of it will end up being inconclusive. And something we know... And, and if you look at the immense amount of pressure there is right now under like drug manufacturers and and, and uh, universities to come up with answers, mm-hmm. I'm concerned that, that we're going to just jump on something too quickly and it's not going to be a fix. It's actually going to hinder us even more. Especially with the, the vaccine they're pushing to come out and uh, less than a year of, of research studies, that's, I mean, that's unprecedented in itself. I, I don't want to be the person that takes that vaccine first. I, yeah, there's a, a billboard on 75 right now asking for uh, participants in a research <laughs> study. And I was like, I'm sure they're paying well, but... <laughs> I don't think it's me. I, uh, I'm very scared of the, I call it the I am legend reality. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with that movie, but that is my biggest fear happening. Uh, not that I think it's going to cause zombies to take over. No, but... it's just it's just the basics of how science work. It takes, it works, it takes time. It yeah. Takes, yeah. Just like, I mean, public policy, you might plant a seed and not see the results you know, 20, until right. 20 years down the line. You're, you've been run out of office already. <laughs> exactly, yeah. People are already asking you next election, what did you do? What? <laughs> but So let's go back a little bit to uh, your role on the Board of Trustees. What is your favorite part of it? Um, that's kind of difficult. Um, I, you know, I, I think that all parts of it I like. Um, if you add into the fact that, that I guess, um, for lack of a better term, I'm kind of a government nerd. I like the process. Mm-hmm. I like the process of talking through issues and talking through policy. Um, and, and that's really not the glamorous part of it. But but for me, I think the biggest thing is working on a future vision of Coal Rain and, and how, um, what the township is going to look like 10, 15, 20, 25 years down the road and, and how we're going to get there and how others share that vision. Mm-hmm. What do you see for Coleraine 10, 15, 25 years down the road? So the biggest thing I really want to encourage is the idea that we become a, as sustainable of, of a community as possible. Um, I think it's important that we uh, maintain our autonomy from, from other local governments. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, in, you know, it's, I'm not saying anything here that's revolutionary, but we're heavily invested in retail in this area. And, you know, all you need to do is open up a paper and look at the retail places that are going out. Yeah. And I think that, that we need to, to kind of reimagine what the central corridor and the retail will be like. 
mm-hmm. and, and I think we need to kind of emerge as part of this, and again, to actually connect it with the COVID, what has been this new economy that's, that's, that's emerged. Yeah. And, and I think that that, Coleraine has a spot there because I think that if you look at the folks that we have that live in the township, you have such a cross-section of talents and skills and uh, even technology mm-hmm. and, and uh, 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 technological skills that I think we're well-suited for that. Yeah. Would you like to see the repurposing of that land, maybe to more of a, a job space or a residential? Or uh, Yeah, and, and again, I have to be careful because I don't want to put my thumb on the scale as government, but at the mm-hmm. same on the same level, I want to I want to push us towards something that's, you know, that's sustainable. I don't want to push us towards you know a bunch of box stores that may go out in three yeah. or four years. Um, so the market needs to answer those questions. But I think that's where government can get often get involved with uh, private public partnerships and and, and work on um, work on bringing something that's creative. You know, creative and government are two words that will never be used in the same sentence. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, that's where we're at, I think, when it comes to local governments. Yeah. I mean, especially bringing it back to the crisis. I mean, right now, I think is it's forcing a lot of local governments to get creative on, you know, just their day-to-day, how they work. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you add in for, uh, for more urban areas, some of the, some of the unrest that they've had that, that are that's really starting to hit the bottom line of the budget. You've, you've had a lot of different, um, a lot of different variables that have impacted uh, how they how they carry themselves going forward. And I think it's I think we're going to see, uh, hopefully, uh, these localities emerge in a better place. Yeah, and uh, this is a little self plug. If you'd like to hear more about some of the protests and events that have happened earlier this summer, we just released an episode with Chief Denny talking about that and police relations in Coleraine. And I can't plug that more. He did an amazing job. And yeah, uh, what would you say have been some of your biggest accomplishments or things you're most proud of doing while on the board? I came in in January and I was gung-ho, ready to go. And within two meetings, we were shut down. <laughs> and with a global pandemic that hasn't been seen in 100 years. Yeah. And I thought, wow, my timing is just outstanding. Yeah. Um, God surely laughs at the plans yeah. we make. So um, a lot of the things that I, that I had planned, you know, a lot of a, a lot of community involvement really had to back. I had to back off a lot of that just because of the rules and laws and and considerations of COVID. Um, but I do think the first thing I did, and I think this was done by January 1st, is I wrote a set of rules for um, um, our township for the uh, Board of Trustees. And I believe, um, I'm about 90% sure, that we're the only Board of Trustees in Hamilton County that has a set of rules. And hopefully, you know, those aren't perfect. They can be fixed, but at least it's a basis for uh, others to work on mm-hmm. so that, you know, when I'm long gone, I could say, well, there's at least one thing here, uh, this, this set of rules. Um, you're right off the bat, uh, with the support of the other trustees, we cut some spending. I think about 150,000. Again, on 40 million, that's not much. And, and you know, I had plans on doing more, but again, you know, when you're talking about a global pandemic, um, spending becomes secondary to to making sure people uh, stay healthy. And, and kind of from a personal note, uh, the Corrine Veterans uh, Group and Chris Green um, had been pushing for banners on Springdale Road uh, to to recognize 
veterans from Corrine Township, and I was happy to be involved with uh, um, the effort to get that moved forward, and those will be up for uh, Veterans Day. Mm -hmm. And we have a number of developments that are moving forward. You know, we have builders coming here and putting up new stuff, and that's that's I'm happy with that as well. Yeah. Uh, in case anyone is listening who maybe has a veteran, their family, or is a veteran themselves, is there someone they can contact for the banners? Or I believe maybe Jackie O'Connell? Yeah, you could contact Jackie O'Connell. I think we have maybe uh, about a dozen or so left, um, and they're going to line Springdale Road. And it's basically kind of a two-year window so you get that banner for two years and in two years we open it up again mm -hmm. um, one of the unique things uh, about Colerain Township is that the percentage of people that have served in the military in Colerain is about 1.4 times the amount in Hamilton County so we have a much larger percentage and you know I think it's important to kind of honor the sacrifices those folks made so that we can be here and do things like this podcast yeah yeah for sure and I mean, it's a small payback for, for all they've given. So you've kind of, uh, I believe you used the term, a government nerd uh, previously. <laughs> yeah. So you've, I mean, have watched hundreds of politicians and people involved in government go through. Is there anyone you try to model yourself after? Or I know that's a hard question because no one, no politician is perfect in any way, but. Um, or maybe lessons you've learned from other people in government. Uh, yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. So, uh, you know, kind of my political hero, so to speak, would be uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, you know, here's a voice at a time that was way outside the mainstream and uh, is, is a progressive Republican and changed a lot of um, a lot of our history going forward. It, you know, it's been in the news lately because I think that um, Rob Portman, uh, the senator here from Ohio, uh, mm -hmm. with the help of... Uh, the rest of the Senate and President Trump signed the Reclamation of National Parks Act. Mm -hmm. That might be the single most important piece of government legislation ever done, and that was Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, the National Parks is America's greatest idea. Yep. I, who said that quote? I just, I'm a, a National Parks nerd, so I feel like I should know who said that quote, <laughs> but. So do you have anyway. the passport? Yes, I do. I'm. Oh, I love getting my stamps on all the <laughs> national parks. I'll even if I forget my passport from the national parks, I'll like have them like stamp the receipt to to tape it in. And then I have a uh, a big tapestry in my room that I get a patch at every national park, and then I iron it on. Anyway, oh, but wow. yeah, I, I don't know if you're a, a fan of national parks, but uh, uh, yeah, again, I think it's one of the great things we did, and it, it, Teddy Roosevelt, you know. Uh, even the playing field for some of the trusts that were involved with with businesses and made it so that you know a little bit more so that average people can compete with some of the large trusts yeah also Teddy Roosevelt just is a fascinating guy outside of politics I mean like he would just disappear for a month at a time <laughs> in Yellowstone and then not and just be like call me later I, think, right. I don't know it was a different time in government but hmm. he was just an absolute I mean, I would love to know. He had so much energy to get so many things done. Love to know how many cups of coffee he was drinking. He or... wanted to serve in World War One on the trenches, and Woodrow mm -hmm. Wilson said, absolutely not. We can't have you getting captured or getting killed. Yeah, wasn't he shot during his presidency, too? Am I yeah, making that up? So he was shot giving a speech, I think, in Buffalo, mm -hmm. and um, the, the bullet pierced his jacket right where he kept a copy of the speech, which was so long that it slowed the bullet down enough. <laughs> And he continued giving the speech. Because I, I think he's a, a member of the, the Tecumseh curse. 
uh, which is that each president elected in a year ending in zero would be shot. Okay. Actually, he might. I think he was elected in, in 96. But I know the first uh, person not to die to break it. 1900 McKinley. Okay, 19, he, he got shot. Yeah, McKinley got shot. Yeah. yeah. I think I know the first person to not die uh, Bush. was Reagan, but he okay. was shot. And yeah, so there was shot, this yeah. whole thing that when he got uh, when he got shot that they're like, oh, he's going to die. This is like fulfilling Tecumseh's <laughs> curse. And uh, he, he survived and he, he broke it. And now now Bush. And so we're in the next president. So anyway, that is just a little a little nerdy president folklore. <laughs> we can get back to Coleraine. What are some of your goals going forward for the township? Um, so you know, when, it, when I talk about goals, I always, at township level, start with fiscally. I want to be as fiscally responsible as I can. Um, I want to uh, get to the point where uh, we're able to find solutions that don't involve additional spending. Mm-hmm. Um, so it goes back to that idea of creative government. Um, part of the goal is, is that, you know, is to reconcentrate on the central corridor and come up with um, kind of a, a new, almost brand, a rebranding of Coleraine. And I think that that's going to be essential moving forward, too, uh, to kind of change how we're perceived um, by people that live here and people outside of mm-hmm. Coleraine. Yeah. What makes you proud to be part of Coleraine and to serve Coleraine? I think that the, uh, the, the most basic thing that makes me proudest is just the diversity of, of people. And diversity, I mean, you know, you can look at it as, as race or, or religion, but you can also look at it as opinions and beliefs and ways of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that, that that makes me very proud. And in the connection that people have uh, to Coleraine, we've already talked extensively about how there's many Coleraines. Yeah. But people still say, they don't say I'm from Peach Grove, they say I'm from Coleraine Township. Mm-hmm. And it's remarkable because, and this is probably a stretch, but I'm going to m- make a comparison here. Uh, the problem that we always had with, with uh, when we went into Afghanistan is nobody ever viewed themselves as Afghans. Mm-hmm. They were all different tribes. And uh, I, would, I would run into people in my classes that would say, well, Afghanistan is another Vietnam. Well, really not, because Vietnam's problem was they were a, a group that didn't want, uh, didn't want outside influence and wanted to be one central government Afghanistan doesn't want to be a central government yeah and and if you look at that comparison and again this is probably way a way a field on this but in Coleraine people view themselves as Coleraine Township people still Mm -hmm. they don't view themselves as as different elements of Coleraine and I think that that's I don't know how you how you create that I think that's a million dollar question for political sciences how do you create that shared uh, that shared experience where people all call themselves Coring Township residents when they have vastly different experiences that lead there. Yeah, and it's it's a balancing act of, of maintaining the small government that townships are made to have and also creating a unifying experience for residents. That's right, and it, it, creating, trying to be small while $50 million, while unifying, it's... Yeah, it's it's interesting because in, in my line of work as a, as a teacher, one of the things that political scientists look at is a book called Imagine Communities. And it talks about what exactly what exactly is a nation of people. Mm-hmm. It's different than a country. It's different than a state. Um, imagine communities are what people imagine them to be. And in Coleraine, we are an imagined community. Yeah. 
And I find it, you know, a nice juxtaposition of, of that imagined community theory looking at it in cool rain and saying that somebody that lives way down on the river is got, sees themselves in the, is, is a member of the same community as somebody that lives uh, way over at, uh, at, at the, off of, uh, off of Kemper. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of an amazing, it, it's the strength, I think, of cool rain and that's an amazing aspect of its character. Yeah. People are, are proud to be from here, and, and rightly so. I think Corrine is, is uniquely positioned as it functions as a microcosm almost for all of the United States. Because as we talked about before, there's metropolitan, there's rural, there's this diversity of opinion, but there's also so much more to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think uh, you teach at Elder, correct? Yeah. Is that, would you say, another form of how you can give back to the, the community in a way? Absolutely, and, 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 I, and I've said this before, there's an interactive kind of uh, um, spirit between my job at Elder and politics. Mm-hmm. You know, politics at times, um, believe it or not, if you look at like Facebook or Twitter and sometimes listen to what people have to say, can be a little bit on the negative side. Um, yeah. And just um, kind of the opposite side of going and dealing with young people in a high school classroom, it kind of reminds me what I'm doing the stuff at the township for. Mm-hmm. It's for them. So it, it takes things that sometimes, you know, you, you get overwhelmed with negativity and, and it's easier to kind of put that to the side and compartmentalize it when you realize that, hey, this is what I'm doing it for. Yeah. So I think that they, they very much complement each other. Yeah, go hand in hand. Do you have a, a motto or maybe a value that you really like guide you in the decision-making process? Yeah, I, I, I would. Uh, I've talked a little bit about it, but I think it would be that um, that long term vision. Um, mm-hmm. I read a book uh, one time about Warren Buffett, and it was called uh, Snowball. And he talks about in there, and I've, I've I've referenced this before, I think, in a couple of the debates leading up to the election. But he he talks about how if it, somebody says, "Hey, you want to go out and grab dinner with me?" He doesn't view it as spending fifteen dollars. He views it as spending like nine hundred. Mm-hmm. Because he realizes if he invests that over the next 15 years, that's, that's what it will equal. And I, I, I look at that and I think, man, if I could make every decision that way uh, in almost like a, a rational kind of long-term vision way that the vast majority will be better than not. Uh, yeah. But the problem is that emotions enter our decision-making process. And, and you have things like, you know, uh, second guessing and guilt and and mm-hmm. you know you know uh, ego reinforcement and things that enter the decision making process and it becomes difficult to deal with a lot of that but if you look at it from that long term vision mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of what I try to do I'm not always successful but I always go back to it yeah I can see that all right so what are you passionate outside of board of trustees and government um all right, so I hesitate to say this in cool rain, mm-hmm. but I will. Elder football. <laughs> That's uh, just lost me the next election, but um, when I'm not at elder football, I'm with cool rain. Well, I think it, it might have lost you favor, er, favorable editing in this podcast because <laughs> my family are big St. X football fans. Well, I'm a St. X grad, so I'm a turncoat. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? Maybe you're buying back some favor, <laughs> but I don't know. A little, little. I don't know if I support traders, but... <laughs> Well, elder signs the check, so, you know, 
Yeah. That so now it's we... easy to go from light blue to purple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Complimentary uh, colors, so it's, it's okay. Yeah. It was just a quick run to Joanne Fabrics. So. <laughs> and, you know, Eller did beat St. X twice last year, not that I'm counting. <laughs> Um, you know, that, and I think, uh, travel, I've been lucky enough that I've, um, it's been a couple of years since I've traveled abroad, but I've been to Europe probably 12 or 13 times. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's interesting because everybody runs around looking at the buildings. And to me, you can drop me off at the train station. My idea of seeing Europe is talking to the people. Yeah. Uh, and I'll talk to anyone. <laughs> I feel that. I Podcasting was a great job for me because it allowed me to do my, my favorite activity of talking. <laughs> um, yeah, and other than that, I mean, um, you know, my family and, uh, um, you know, I'm unmarried. So uh, my, my dog, Kobe, the Australian cattle dog, is who, by the way, I shouldn't even admit to this, but so Australian cattle dogs are bred to, to um, herd cattle. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a rescue dog. I think I'm like the third or fourth home for him. <laughs> um, Every Sunday, I have to drive him out to Sunman, Indiana, to go look at cows so that he can bark at them. <laughs> and he gets so excited. He barks so loud that he shakes my SUV. <laughs> and then I drive him home, and he sleeps for six hours. It's, an, it's, it's a, the highlight of his weekend. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about adventurers. Australian cattle dogs are, are bred to just live their lives on the free range they're yeah. not they're not city dogs no they in and um and i just feel so attached to doing that because i realize as being the third or fourth home mm -hmm. probably the others didn't go so well and and you know i want to i want to be that that yeah. place for him i mean it's just it's why I, uh, it's why i went and got a, a, a rescue dog i i own a a rescue cat who was also on several homes before me. Mm -hmm. And I joke, when I retire, I want my cat's <laughs> yeah. life. She, she lives it. But there's something about rescue animals that, that make the process of owning a pet so much better. Although they, you don't own them, they own you. It's how it works is, you know. Oh yeah. yeah. We're, I'm very aware of who, who runs the house, who's the chief and <laughs> <laughs> who is, who is the, the servant. So now that I've admitted that, I actually take my dog out to, to Indiana every Sunday to go bark at uh, cows. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the hard veneer that, that I try to uh, execute is not going yeah. to work as much anymore. I won't tell the other, the other trustees <laughs> your, your, your weakness of an Australian shepherd. It's hard. Um, having a 17-pound cat dictate my life is, is stressful sometimes, but it's the life I have. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming in. Is there anything you want to plug before we, we end the interview? Uh, no, just tell people to, uh, that we're going to get out of this soon in COVID. And uh, it, I'd love to see you at meetings. Until then, uh, watch it on Waycross. Mm -hmm. And if anybody ever needs anything, um, you know, email me. Um, uh, call my cell phone, which is listed on the township page. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm very much into uh, – uh, constituent service and, and getting things done when you feel like you're hitting a brick wall so yeah just let me know do you have any examples of things you would like people to reach out to you on or just anything and everything yeah generally I, the thing that we've had most recently is uh, what seems like uh, um, and, and part of the problem is I think it seems that way because it's the most current mm -hmm. but a proliferation of trash just everywhere yeah and and that's been driving people crazy and and, and me too because it's 
um, to use kind of a, a political kind of phrase, it's a self-inflicted wound. It's we're, we're trashing our own community and it's, there's just no reason to do it. Um, so that's one of the things that I've been working on lately to try to get some, maybe get some uh, additional kind of resolutions to get that taken care of. And, and to also just, you know, appeal to the people, hey, look, we all live here, man. You, you don't, yeah. don't throw your trash out there. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I hope you have a great week. And thank you to everyone who's listening this week. It's been a true joy. Hey, Colrain, you just listened to my interview with trustee Matt Walher. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. And for more episodes like it, please check out our Spotify and Apple Music page. And be sure to like, rate, and subscribe us while there. I hope you have a great week. Until next time. Thank you.